we enter a new section of the Gospel of John, uh, beginning in chapter 13. Um, This is a turning point where Jesus is now away from the crowds and he's with his men. We set this kind of scene because I want you to understand that for the next five chapters, it's lantern time. It's candle light. It's in the upper room. It's just the master and his men. No longer does he speak to the crowds. No longer is he preaching For the next five chapters, he's going to instruct his men. And when he does, he's instructing us. Imagine the Son of God sitting in a room with 12 men, taking this much time to communicate to them the heart of their Father. Uh, Imagine a God who takes time to love us and to be intimate. So I want you to slow down in your mind the fast-paced world that you live in. And I want you to think about five chapters of just you and Jesus in that room. And he's talking to you. And he's communicating to you. And he's pouring his heart out to you. It tells me how much God values us, his own. Uh, That's climbing a mountain that we have been doing in the Gospel of John, a mountain of such incredible theological thought that no other Gospel writer goes to. The L, we've battled that thing out. Does it mean climbing a mountain that leads to life in Christ? Does it mean climbing a mountain where the light of God shines so brightly on us, all other lights just dim in comparison? The first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John, the words life and light occur 50 and 32 times. They're two of the favorite words of John. But now a new word dominates the scene in the next five chapters because the word love is going to be used 32 times in five short chapters. Whereas before he was sharing his life and the light to the world, now when he gathers us together with the, with, with, with the light and the darkness and as we gather together, The dominating theme is how much he loves you. We're going to talk about that for five chapters. Leslie Newbiggin, in a book called The Light Has Come, writes this. At this point in the gospel, we move out of the streets into a quiet room. The noise of the cosmos has died away. And the stillness of the night prevails. And yet in that quiet room, 
Jesus is preparing his disciples for the mission to the world on which he will send them. And the word cosmos or the world occurs no less than 40 times in these five chapters. But I want you to notice as he prepares his men for the world mission, his dominating theme is not how we're going to do it. His dominating theme is how we're going to pull it off. Statistics, training, teaching. His dominating thought when he prepares his men to go out is, I'm going to show you how much I love you. Because until you're convinced about how much Jesus loves you, you're on a stopping point with Christ. Are you able to receive that kind of love? Some folks have trouble receiving love. Maybe you got burned early in life of something that something happened to you and you may not be able in your own human capacity to receive love. But the Holy Spirit can open your heart to the love of God. Amen. Whitney, or yeah, the kids stayed overnight, Lorelai and Landon, always have a good time with them. And in the mornings, I wake up about 5, 5.30. I go down into a chair, a lazy boy downstairs, and drink my coffee in the dark. Usually the dog's on my lap. It's the best moments of my day. I get to just fellowship with the Lord. Well, yesterday morning, a little blonde girl came down, and I heard her coming down the stairs. And she just walked over in the dark and held her hands out, and I pulled her up in the chair. And I sat her on my lap and covered her with that blanket. And for about 40 minutes, we just cuddled. We didn't talk a lot. We just held each other. That's cuddle time. It doesn't get any better than that. It just doesn't. God, forgive the expression, cuddles. Amen. Takes you in his arms Amen. and loves you. What healing there in the lap of the Lord. Amen. What security is there? I said to Lorelai, I said, in my lap, honey, you don't have to worry about the tests at school. You don't have to worry about the little dramas with the other little girls in kindergarten. You don't even have to worry about mommy and daddy telling you what to do. You can just relax and let daddy and papa love you. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 13. And let's look. <coughs> at this incredible transition where Jesus is going to communicate his love in these lantern talks. Verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, <laughs> you may just read that and move on, but there are theologians who don't move on from there. In fact, we get all caught up with a, a, an apparent contradiction in the Gospel of John. I'm only going to mention it to make a point, so fi- just stay with me. When it says that Jesus uh, met with his men, uh, it says, uh, before the feast of the Passover, if a careful reading of the other Gospels says that he met with them at the feast of the Passover. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all say something that is apparently different than what John says. And there has been a raging, raging war in theological circles for thousands of years about, well, how do you 
mesh those two together. And you can read all kinds of angles to it. The three synoptics got it wrong, so John was correcting them. Um, the three synoptics are right in their dating of the week. You know, was it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? They're, they're right, and John didn't care about dates because he was re- writing theologically. So dates weren't important to John. Uh, there, there, was, there was two calendars at the time, Jewish calendar and a Roman calendar. Well, one wrote on one calendar and one wrote on the others, and they tried to mesh it all together. First of all, there's no contradictions in the Scripture, so there really is an answer. Amen. Number two, it's probably not worth fussing about. Amen. You will find Christians who want to battle over what's called biblical minutia. The minute details of the scripture. They're important and they're not, you know, was it, was it a camel through an eye of a needle? Was the needle a little gate in the Jewish wall or was it a literal needle? Who cares? The point is it's difficult. He died. Whatever day that was. I mean, research it, get your firm position. But then, you know... Don't miss the meat and potatoes for the color of the tablecloth. I come to your house and I have an argument with you over what color the tablecloth is and we never chew into the ribeye steak and the baked potato. We've missed something, have we not? So I just say that in passing. Don't get caught up in the minutia. What matters is that he met with them. Okay. So now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, he's the only man who ever knew that his hour had come. If a person ever tells you they know the day and time or the moment of their death, that's no, we don't know. We may at times feel like we're dying, but usually we pull out of it. Jesus was the only one who knew And notice what it says. He knew the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Notice the crucifixion, death, and burial, and resurrection are not mentioned here. He goes right to the departure out of this cosmos back to his Father. The light of the crucifixion is not here. Because Jesus is looking beyond the sacrifice, seeing the inevitable return to his Father. So assured that Jesus was that he would raise from the dead, that in this case he bypasses the whole subject and and just refers to his departure. Now, take a look at this. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... By the way, you do know you're going to depart this life, right? You do know that, right? There's coming a day you'll die, and you're going to go somewhere. Uh, in miniature, this is the picture of the Christian, departing out of this world, going to the Father. I love that, don't you? Some of you have loved ones who have recently died. They have departed this world which is not a bad deal. This world isn't the best deal going on. The Father's the best deal. 
let that comfort your heart. The Bible never looks at death like the end. Death is a transitional departure to another place where there is a Father waiting. Don't you love that? Have food for our souls. Jesus is introducing a God, a Father that He's departing to. All right, let's go on. Having loved His own. Key in on the words, His own. If you know Christ today, you are His. You are His. You see, I can see a whole bunch of kids in the playground, but when I spot my grandchildren, they're mine. Yep. In fact, when they come over for babysitting, the first thing I say to them when their parents leave, and I look them right in the eye and say, you're mine now. I got you. Come here. In fact, after a few minutes, they go, I want to go home. I said, no, no, no. You're mine. We have unfinished business. Uh, I got to tell you, I, I, forgive me for this, the grandkids' stories, but they just happened to be over for the weekend. It was so funny. Uh, Landon was kind of fussing, you know, and, and, and kind of crying, whining with his mother. And I said, come here, let's, let's go to the side room. So I took him into that side room, and I said, look, if you, if I go back, if you go back out there and you cry and whine and fuss, I'm going to take you right up in that bed. I'm going to put you to bed. That was about 6 o'clock at night. And I said, you'll be in bed for that night. You're done. You're done. You understand that? Yeah. I understand. So I take him back out, and he gets in the high chair, and he begins to whine. This is, this is so funny. He, he was being to whine his mother, and he went like, and he looked up at me. <laughs> Don't take me to bed. He's ours. You are God's. You are his own. And he loves you and he claims you. Isn't that beautiful? We are in the kingdom of darkness. We were over the realm of Satan. Trapped in our sin. And he called us out of that and made us his own. Jesus wants you to know that you are his. The number one need of every child is not love. Do you know that? It's not love. It's not to be pampered over. It is the need to be secure. It is to know that I am my Father's. And He will never let me go. Never. I will never leave you or forsake you. You are His. He is yours. Look, look at, let's go on. Having loved His own, notice, who were in the world. He's going to leave them in this world. He loved them to the end. It's a Greek word that means two things. It means to the conclusion of things and in a perfect, complete way. I think the old King James says to the uttermost. He loved them with a degree of love that cannot be measured. One old preacher said he loved them to the uttermost and he loved them to the guttermost. Drawing us out of sin to himself. And that love is not a performance-based love. I was reminded of a terrifying experience of my childhood last Sunday night when I walked into the gym after the service. You ever have those moments that takes you back to a time when you were little that you just hated? 
They were in the gym, the, the volleyball folks, and I think they had two captains on one side, and they were choosing. I'll take him. I'll take her. I'll take her. I'll take him. And as I walked in the midst of that, all those child emotions, because I was always the last one picked. I mean, if there was ten guys there and you had to play five on five, I sat it out. And I felt like I was the best guy there and I never got chosen. Now, you know that if you're in that group over there, now they're going to pick everybody. Everybody gets picked, right? Nobody got sent to the bleachers. But you know that if you're the last one picked, it's because you're the most non-athletic, dumpy kid that's out there. Right? You have the least to offer the volleyball. Now, who was the last one picked Sunday night? It needs new to our church. Don't do her like that. We're trying to reach this family, Ed. Pick her first. Then you get out of the church service over there and you just get all fleshly and think, oh, who can help me? Man, I'm sorry, Neen. Forgive us for that. When God chose you, he didn't look out and go, oh, look at how much he can do for me. He chose you on the basis of nothing you could do for him. Because if he chose me for what I can do for him, if I ever fail him, I've lost his love. But if he chooses me because he loves me, because he's chosen to place his love on me, I don't have to perform to win that love. I don't have to do anything. I've got it right now. He can't love me any less or more than he loves me right now because he has an infinitude of love toward me. You don't measure that. Now, Karen and I have been married how many years, honey? 30? 32, 33. We lose, we're having so much fun, we lost count. There's fluctuations in our love with each other. If I do all the laundry and vacuum, her love is high. <laughs> if she does like just what I want her to do and never complains or whines or cries about anything, I, my love is high. There's other times we just want to kill each other. We just want to strangle each other. But God's love never varies for you. It's not even on a plane that you can measure. He loved his own to the uttermost. Do you believe that? Will you climb up into his lap today and let him just hold you? Loves you. Loves me. That transforms lives, doesn't it? But notice it says during supper, not at the end of supper, but during supper, when the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, he could only put it in Judas's heart if Judas opened his heart and allowed him to put it there. Judas had a will, and he chose self. Satan saw his opportunity and placed it in his heart. Never be, never be surprised at what the human heart can do. It is deceitful above all things. You ever have somebody that says, God knows my heart? A good response I heard recently, yeah, and your heart's deceitful above all things. And it takes the wind out of that thing, doesn't it? 
Notice during supper when the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Now notice the next phrase. If I'm Simon, I... (laughs) Simon's son. Wow. Wow. He mentions the name of the man and then he mentions his son. I'm not quite sure why. I guess I can suppose and assume why. Simon raised Judas Iscariot. I don't know why. Are we responsible for our grown children? Not really. Once they're grown and gone, we've done the best we could. We've got to release it and let it go and forget about it. But is there something in Simon's fathering that led him in that direction? Nah, but Judas was responsible for Judas, but it mentions his son. Fathers, you only have them for a short time. Do right. Pour into their lives. Be a man to your boys and your girls. Lead them in the way of Christ. If your wife doesn't want to come along, you lead. Until she does. This is, it doesn't mention Judas's mother. mentions his father. Okay, enough of that. Verse 3. Jesus knowing, notice the I-N-G's as we go along. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. That's the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. And that he had come from God. That's the origin of Jesus Christ. And that he was going back to God. That's the destiny of Christ. So you have sovereignty, origins, and destiny all there. Did you catch all that? Let's look at it again. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Well, what all things? At the risk of sounding redundant. All things. Everything. The plan of redemption. Setting the cosmos right. Creating a new race of believers who are coming out from Adam unto Christ. The authority to be the head over the church. The crown of thorns they beat down around his head. The Father had given him all things. The Father had set the Son at the center of all things, giving him all things. Do you see the centrality of Christ here? That he is all things to all, for all time. This wasn't a plan that that issued him in for a time and then partitioned him back. The Father has placed the Son, giving him all matter, if you will. All things. What sovereignty this is. What authority this is. What majesty this is. And leading to a point, follow me. He knew his origins. That he came out from God, that he was God. He knew his destiny that he was going to return from, to the Father. Knowing all these things in the fullness of his knowledge, not partially. How did he choose to pour into his men? What move did he make at this time with these twelve in the lantern lit room, in the upper room? Knowing all these things. 
Look at what look look at the next phrase. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel, an apron, if you will, tying it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. A most startling scene. This is something that any of the disciples would have gladly done for him, but they would not have done it for each other. And they were shocked. You talk about awkward You talk about a silence in the room that shouted. The embarrassment as he knelt down to each one to wash their feet. A man named Sivian of Gabala in 400 AD wrote this. He who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped himself with a towel. He who pours the water into rivers and pools tipped water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends and bows in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. Astounding, is it not? Incredible moment of humility. Johannes Bengen writes this. He loved them when he conferred upon them his perfect purity in washing. The humility of soul and therefore confirmed that he sent to the sent ones, the disciples, the qualification for their mission into the world of pureness and holiness. Amazing, amazing moment that the Son of God washed your feet and mine. We'll go on in the story next week, but I want you to think about three things. Number one, do you know how much He loves you? I... Right out of the gate in chapters 12 through 17, it is his dominating theme. Do you believe the love of Jesus Christ for your soul? Do you have any idea how he dances over you? That he has chosen you to be his? Do you receive that love from him? A love like that will transform your life when you see it and when you receive it. Some of you here today, you've never come to Christ as your Savior. Do you know He loves you and wants to make you His own? That He wants you to come to Him? Well, how do I know if I'm chosen? Well, just walk the aisle right after the service and cry out to Jesus to save you, and then you'll get up from that prayer and you'll go, man, I guess I was chosen. Come. 
He loves the world. Do you know that? Do you really know it? 